welcome to the podcast, Creating Confident Communication. And today we have Julie Lee. Julie Lee is not a typical keynote speaker. Her personal experiences with human connection changed the trajectory of her life, ignited the passion behind her ICU mission, and made her into a powerful advocate of connected leadership. Through research and stories that are both vulnerable and inspiring, Julie delivers the wholehearted message that connection has the ability to uplevel, even transform work culture, a relevant message that is right on time. Julie Lee is the author of The ICU, How Compassion and Connection Saves Lives, and the children's book, Broccoli Punzel, A Girl with Extraordinary Hair. With over 100 episodes on her podcast, I See You, she empowers thousands of listeners to succeed in relationships by embracing human connection. And she is also the co-host with Tony Overbay, which is uh, the podcast is called Love ADHD. Welcome, Julie. We're so excited that you're here today. Thank you. Man, that was such a mouthful. We need to shorten that bio. <laughs> well, I loved it. I just was fumbling over my words. So, you know, but that's all right. Um, okay. so we would love to just have you start a little bit about like how you got into being able to share about connection. This is so perfect for what we talk about on our podcast. I'm so grateful. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, I'm glad. So yeah, so I'm Julie. I have two kids. Uh, Sam is eight and Lydia is seven. That's always what comes to mind first. Uh, uh, the hardest and best part of my life, right? Being a mom. Um, yeah, so I I got started in this work of speaking about human connection when I started a podcast. Well, really the start is, let's back up just a little bit. I grew up in a home with a father with a pretty severe mental illness that was unmedicated. And so kind of watched some interesting experiences and tough things as a kid, uh, left my home, was so excited to start like a new life where I didn't, uh, have mental illness in my life. I was super loyal to my family, like loved them and love my parents and still do, but just really felt like I'd kind of done my part with like the mental health thing. And it wasn't really talked about then too. So I also don't think I realized how big a deal it was. It's just, we weren't talking about it. So I felt like ours was like this family secret, right? Like, no, you know, anyways. And then uh, I got married. And when I was 21, I was in a work situation under some pretty honestly toxic leadership. And I had a complete mental breakdown. I had my first panic attack in the work bathroom stall. And from there, it really was a, a leader, so many people, but a leader in particular that showed up for me uh, in that time that was really tough, that really went above and beyond. Uh, what their role was in my life, in my career, in my education. And it it truly changed and saved my life. It, it, as my bio says, changed the trajectory of my life. And I was able to see up close and personal the power of when someone chooses to connect with you, when you're emotionally vulnerable. I mean, at all times, human connection. I mean, there's so much research out there. Human connection is just, we all need it. But especially when you're vulnerable, uh, for someone to choose to connect with you and to be present with you, to witness your life, there's nothing that can replace the power of that. And I, because I experienced that in such an intimate way, uh, and, and it wasn't just in one moment, it was five and a half to six years of being on and off meds, in and out of therapy, trying to heal things from childhood, trying to to move forward, trying to run from it. And it, it really was something I had to learn to be okay with that I had a susceptibility towards. Um, 
And then from there, I felt I felt just really called to start this podcast called I See You. And from there, that led to the book contract of, I happen to have one right here, not to be pretentious, but that would, uh, led to this book contract for I See You, How Compassion Connection Save Lives, uh, which led to more and more speaking. And then obviously also the children's book that came out two years later, which is kind of an ICU message for kids. So then I, yeah, and I, I love speaking. I love uh, speaking to leaders. I've learned, it's interesting. My background is is teaching. I was a second grade teacher for a couple of years before I had my children. And I have learned that I thrive speaking to adults. Uh, I didn't know how much I could love my job. And then I started working with company cultures and CEOs and faculties, the leadership, the people that have that have such great impact. And it just, it like gives me life. I love it so much. And yeah. So I, I, normally I present, I have two keynotes, the connected leader and counterculture. And then I have a workshop called ICU as well. So I just love what I do. I could obviously talk about it all day, but uh, I'll give you a turn here, but yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm so grateful. So tell me like what, uh, what age, so you were working through all of those issues. So when did you start speaking and sharing? Um, okay. So I broke, so I broke down or some people say, uh, what do they say? You have a, a breakdown or a breakthrough, whatever we want to call it that there's a very before and after that, that was when I was 21. Yeah. And then I began the podcast, I believe when I was 27 and I started speaking, I think maybe I started the podcast when I was 28. I started speaking when I was 27, but I was just speaking to elementary schools. Then the very, very beginning before even the podcast, I started talking to kids about self-acceptance. And then a year later, I think I see you, the podcast came out. And that's when I really started to transition towards adults and realized that actually where I thrived was working with adults. And that even kind of started in that I wanted to help kids so much. I think in part, because there's things that I learned as an adult that I just thought, man, if I had learned this as a kid, if I'd understood it as a kid, there would be so much that I wouldn't have needed to do in therapy as an adult, right? Like if I could have known this at age six, when I was going through what I was going through, how different would that have been? And so, so I wanted to talk to kids to help kids because in part, you know, like the six-year-old in me, like it felt healing to do that for other kids. And I think I had these moments where I would speak to an elementary school or even a junior high. And afterwards I'd have these lines of kids and they would come up and hug me and they would like cry even uh, as we're talking about um, some, some hard intimate things like self-acceptance. And you can see these kids are just struggling and they'd hug me and they'd say like, I feel so good. I'm going to be okay. All these things. And I like, all I could bring myself say is I just say, don't forget, like, don't forget how you feel right now. And as they left, I couldn't help but feel like, man, I just have one hour with these kids. I have one hour. And I hope, I mean, obviously it's made an impact right now, but I know that there are times when I hear a speaker for an hour and it's great and I'm totally committed and I'm going to change everything and I'm going to do things different. And then I forget. And I think those moments kind of led me to this thought of who are the people that have the most consistent time with these kids that really can make an impact. And I thought it's the parents and it's the teachers. So then I really started working with bosses and faculties, just with the idea that like, I want to save kids. And actually the best way I do that is by helping the people that, that can model it for them day to day. Um, Even if they're not directly teaching it, they're modeling what it looks like to 
to infuse human connection in the culture. They're going to connect with the kids differently. So in reality, I mean, I don't talk about that much, but that's kind of how I started working with adults. And I've obviously grown to love it. And I think that adults are worth just as much as kids, but it really was a mission to save kids is I wanted to talk to their adults. Oh, I just love that. You know, I've kind of been on the same page with that. It's influence those that, you know, that love those children and they can work through it because I I have that same I have that same feeling about kids. Um, I love that you've done that. So with being a teacher, what did you see? I mean, that was that was cool. I actually didn't know that about you. Did yeah. you notice that as a teacher, second grade teacher? Because I just have found that teachers make such an influence on kids, help them with their confidence, help them feel connected and be able to communicate and express themselves. As you and I know, we have our friend Clint that talks about his story. Um Right. where he, Clint Pulver, where he was, um, you know, he had a little bit, I don't, does he say he has ADHD? I don't know. He was tapping with his drums, yeah. but you know, we, we going into that, that teacher, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up probably because that teacher saw the good in him and he shares this beautiful story. And so what things would you say as a teacher that you saw? I mean, how does that make a difference for those kiddos when you've that connection and everything? Well, and I'm going to take this a little bit in a different way um, because so what's interesting. So I taught second grade for two years, right? And I feel like I'm like a nice person that comes across like I'd be a nice teacher. I don't know. And and I do feel like my kids loved me. I just know for me, I I was so drained. Like I was not how you're supposed to feel when you love your job. Yes, I was nice to the kids. Did they learn a lot? I don't know. But like I don't, I didn't realize how much that wasn't a right fit for me until I started doing what I do now. And I'm like, oh, this like gives me energy and I'm motivated and I'm happy. So what's interesting with this is you and I talked before we started recording that I got diagnosed with ADHD early this year. Right. And it's helped make a lot of sense for me of a lot of things in my life and a lot of uh, the the things I struggle with and the things that I'm kind of genius about. I like to think, um, And it was interesting. I recently, I don't sub a lot, but because I'm self-employed, right? I I speak and give keynotes. I have a little more flexibility where, so my kids' teachers know that if they are going to go on a vacation or something, I love to sub their class if it works with my schedule. Because it's like another opportunity for me to see my kids and especially I'm divorced now. And so I only have my kids 50% of the time. So it's just like a sweet thing to be able to be in their classrooms. So anyways, last week I subbed my son's class in third grade. And there was a kid that I remember the first day, it was going to be for three days straight. And I remember that first day, a couple minutes into class, I already was like, okay, this is going to be really hard with this kid. Um, And for a lot of the things that I struggle with even, and I'll explain that in a minute. And I just had this moment, I was being, I'm, I'm kind of a strict management teacher in general. And I always ran a pretty tight ship. We had fun, yes, but like, I don't handle like crazy noise all the time well and scatter. Like, I'm like, I need structure. And I think it's good for, you know, we learned that in research that kids thrive in structure, but obviously there's a balance with flexibility. And I was, I was kind of going at the situation with this child in that way where I was just nipping it in the bud and just like, you know, just being very strict with him to kind of get him in line. Cause I was, and I, I just stopped and I was, I thought about it and I was like, we're going to be together for three days. Cause he was just pushing back hard. Right. It was a power struggle and I was in it. And I just thought if you want something different, you have to do something different. Right. 
And I just changed the way I interacted with him. And I found reasons to highlight good things he was doing as much as possible. And I kind of I started joshing with him, joking with him a little, you know, and just like kind of making him feel like he's on the in with me and having him help me with things. And Talia, like, I cannot even tell you how quickly his behavior changed. And I just looked at him and I thought, I actually kind of get him. And I'm not walking around diagnosing kids, right? But like, I think about how I was as a teacher before having some of these experiences, before getting my own diagnosis and how strict I was. And while I still am someone that needs structure in part because my brain is so scattered, um, I was like, these kids need good teachers who can see what's really going on with them. Because this kid, he didn't want to be naughty. Are you kidding me? The second I started positively praising me, he just ate it up. He wanted to help, right? And and it made me think so much about this human connection piece where I'm like, because adults were just big kids, right? And so many times when you see people act out and and bizarre behavior and things, so much of it is just like trying to cope. And I can relate to that. I can relate to trying to cope when your mind is a mess. And I have so many experiences to do with that. And the overwhelm, right? The very, the need I have for structure because I get overstimulated and overwhelmed, which is, is a piece of ADD and, or ADHD as they're calling all of it now. And so, yes, I see that in the classroom, that need, um, for these kids so badly to feel seen and, and to be connected and to that the standard classroom, it is a struggle for some kids and the way their brain works if they're expected to sit still at a desk a lot. I mean, I've talked about this before on, on me and Tony's podcast, Love ADHD, but it's like I have ripped up my nails and my cuticles until they bleed since I was like four. And I am 33 years old and it is still a daily struggle. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I'll look down and like my fingers are bleeding. Like you want to talk hyperactivity, right? Like, and I'm a grown adult. And so I look at these kids and the expectations we have for them. And yeah, we need, we need teachers who are modeling human connection for these kids and that are willing to, to have that kind of patience and love and understanding and and intention with them. Rush, what you said was so incredible on so many levels. So I don't know if you know, but. We have this amazing gift in our family where all of us have ADHD. I don't know if you knew that. So husband and I, I really do. I call it the gift of ADHD where your podcast is called Love ADHD because there's nothing wrong with that. And the fact that I've had people say to me, you know, your kids, they communicate so well. They look eye to eye. I mean, there's so many wonderful gifts. Yes, we get distracted. We totally cut people off in our family. <laughs> we like, we do it all. But the thing is, is, as I remember exactly what you were saying, it's just, it's the truth. Like kids that are, are trying to get a need met, whether it's they're, they're wanting something, either it's a cry for help or a cry for love. And that's one thing I learn and teach in my coaching is what is it people are crying out or wanting? Do they need help? Do they want love? And so when you say that, I remember my oldest son was kind of like wanted to be the class clown because he obviously thought it was funny to entertain and he was getting his attention met. And, yes. and even my cute daughter, that's um, she does the same thing you do. She loves having pretty nails, but she'll pick and pick and pick. And she doesn't want to. She wants to have those beautiful nails and those things. But we all have all, all of our different ways to cope and all of our different struggles. And I think what I love about what you're teaching 
is that we do all long for that connection. We are all looking for ways to have to be confident and to have ways to communicate with people. And sometimes we're not sure how. So I would love to hear first, what what is a couple tools you'll give us that you teach about in ways that you find greater connection? Will you share a few things that we can take home with us and, and learn for our children or in business or as adults, how we can um, kind of, I see you better. I just love this. Absolutely. Well, you brought up one eye contact. I mean, that's a simple one. Do I, I don't teach that specifically in my keynotes, but that's huge eye contact. Another one uh, saying, uh, talking to people and using their first name, huge, huge, what that does in the brain. I still, to this day, I love it when people call me by name, the difference between thank you and thank you, Julie, there's a difference there, right? I feel more seen. Uh, We talk about uh, gosh, because the three pillars of the connected leader, which is the the keynote that I've given the most often, it's kind of my older one, and I now have counterculture as well. But it, we really talk about these pillars of I see you, I appreciate you, and I trust you and what that looks like. And so I'll just quickly go through the three, but I see you with the concept of when you see me, I want to follow you. And it's th- those are two huge ones, using people's name, eye contact, right? huge to make people feel seen. I appreciate you highlighting strengths, right? That was something I used in that class. How, what are the things about this kid that I just can adore on him about? Because we were together for three days, right? Right. We were, this was an investment. We were going to make each other's lives hell, (laughs) or we were, we were going to learn to enjoy each other. And it was still difficult. That's what's, that's, what's hard is I feel like even me being intentional, it was still a day-to-day struggle, sometimes hour to hour of like, oh. <laughs> and you teach, and teach, you teach about this. This is what you teach. teach about it. What and I love about you said, I see you. It's almost like seeing him in the eyes of even, we yeah. can even say through God's eyes or through other people's eyes, because there's people that love him and see him. And the way you were looking and choosing was beautiful. And I, and I know what it feels like. I've been misjudged, Right by some of my behaviors and my impulsivity and things. And people think I mean something and I'm like, oh no, I'm just so unaware. Like I'm not a mean person. Have I done mean things? Of course, everybody has. But like, I, I like, I, I've had this thought where I'm like, my tombstone should just read like Julie Lee. She meant well, <laughs> like something like that, <laughs> where it's like, I have offended people. I have, because I just am, I'm, the things that make me so powerful and awesome, there is also a, a side to that that is that is a struggle and a weakness. And I mean, that's with everyone, just in different things. But uh, the last pillar, though, I trust you. The, the thing that I think is so huge about this is when you're willing to be open and vulnerable, and that's going to look different from everyone, but you're giving other people silent permission to do the same, and you're showing that you trust them. So I talk a lot about the relationship of giving and receiving. There's a a chapter in ICU called The Art of Giving and Receiving. Because here's the thing. If you are willing to give and give and give, that's great. But if you won't receive from me, then I don't trust you. I think Brene Brown, she she talks about this in, I want to say she has a seminar or something called The Anatomy of Trust. And do we have time for like a two-minute story on this? So the one that I think of most clearly is I had had a friend watch my kids while I had a speaking gig that lived down the street. 
And I, on my way home, I called her and I was like, Hey, can I pick you up a soda or something or, you know, or sparkling water? And she was like, no, 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 please don't do that. And I was like, okay. So I get there and I'm putting on my kid's shoes. And I said to her, Hey, like, I'd love to return the favor sometime. Now I'm not like a tit for tat person. Like I need to repay you. I need to like, we just try to be nice people, but it's like, Hey, like you should go get your nails done or something like this would be fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And literally, Talia, this is what she says to me. She says, oh, I couldn't have you do that. I wouldn't want to be a burden. And what would you think if someone said that to you when you they've just watched your kids for you? That maybe you were, that you were a burden, maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, not maybe. Like, absolutely. That's what I thought. And, and the thing I ask is like, do you think I ever asked her for help again? No, no way. Are you kidding me? Because there's something about if you're willing to give but not receive, there is some part of you that sees receiving, accepting help as a weakness because you don't practice what you preach for yourself. And so people that aren't willing to receive, that doesn't mean they need to make up reasons to need help. But you can feel that from someone when they're like, oh, no, 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 no. But I will serve you to death. I'm like, oh, oh, like, like adore you. Definitely don't trust you, though, that you actually aren't going to build up resentment towards me helping me that you really do want to help me. Right. Because there is a part of you that it's like, it's okay for me to receive, but not for you. So for me, the whole, I trust you thing, especially the relationship between a leader and a follower is it's like, you need a model asking for help, that that's a normal part of our culture to ask and need help. You know, that is really interesting. I learned that lesson years ago. My husband fell off a ladder. I don't share this very often, but um, fell off like, I want to say it was like a 17 foot ladder at work. And we had, we had a small farm at the time and he was such a giver and always a worker, but he couldn't walk. Like he was down and on this scooter for seven months total. And we had to, we were getting pigs in. And I just felt like I wanted to share this really fast, but the same story, I could not do this on my own. And we allowed people to come in. We had like this huge youth group come in. They still talk about like how much fun they were having because we live on this kind of farm and someone grabbed out a BB gun and was trying to get like a rat and a squirrel. And I mean, they still talk about how much fun it was, but the true gift was that we allowed them to serve. And that's when I was able to experience what you're saying, that give and receive cycle of we can give, but there's a time to let people help us. How do we let other people be blessed is by letting other people serve and give. And so I, I've seen that very clearly in my own hand. I never put it together with the trust, you know, like those that don't, because I know they're working through their own issues. There's a reason they don't want to let other people serve them. Right. But that's a really interesting thought. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I don't mean to downplay like our own insecurities. Like I get it. I've, I've totally been that person, especially this last year I mentioned I got divorced and um, I lost my sister who was like my very best friend and just I've needed to accept help. And I've also had times when I felt insecure and had a hard time accepting it. So I'm not trying to, no. to blow the whistle on everyone. I just think it's something important for us to look at, at, at really our motivations there, you know? Well, that's um, where I thought it was beautiful. Cause I thought, wow, that's a great way she explained that. There is that give and receive for a reason. So no, I, I, I love that I learned that. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, one of the questions I love to ask is through this journey, what struggles? And I know you kind of have mentioned that because the first time I actually heard you speak, Julie, you were sharing a story and I think it was a new 
kind of a new topic. You were talking about your sister and I was in tears. I was so like blown away with how you were speaking and sharing. And I don't know if you want to share anything at all about your struggles or difficulties that you've been through. Um, but that was really touching to me. And I was super grateful to hear you. Yeah, I do want to share. I always want to share about her and, um, I might cry and that's okay. I'm doing that instead of apologizing for crying. Because once again, we talk about like, if I apologize for crying, do I see it as a weakness? And no, I don't. It's just a heads up for if you don't like listening to someone crying, <laughs> go to Talia's next episode where they're <laughs> less emotional. Cry together. Uh, but I think you would understand if you had the sister I had. Um, so, or still have, but in a very different way. So yes, my... Yeah, there's been a lot of struggles through this, of course, and a lot of success. That's how the best things in life, right? Are is this is the wholehearted life Brene Brown talks about, I think, where you choose to be all in. And I had a relationship with my sister who was just my best friend named uh she's named Amy. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer uh and found out that she was pregnant with her sixth child within like a day or two of each other. So it was really all hands on deck, maybe a little bit like when your husband fell, where it was like they really quick as people who served to death, they really quickly had to humble themselves and and accept help. And anyways, I'll make part of this a short story because I want to focus what I think is is most important and what she'd probably want me to focus on. But the baby ended up being okay. I mean, she did chemo with the baby in utero, had a one side mastectomy as soon as the baby he was out, did the other side, radiation, hysterectomy, everything. Like she did, she did everything right, you know, and it was breast cancer, like one of the most curable cancers. She was only 31 when she was first diagnosed. And um, what's interesting is when she, when she first told me that she thought it might be breast cancer, I just had my baby. I, she was only two weeks old. And, and so she'd waited to tell me and she said, Hey, we're not sure yet, but this is, I found a lump and it might be breast cancer. And she's like, there's no way it is. Right. Like I was like, no, Amy, like you're 31. I still remember we were standing in my daughter's nursery and I just remember her saying, but Julie, what if it is? And she said, I have these five little kids. I have like, I'm pregnant by the way. <laughs> um, and they're all just watching me. And I've seen things like cancer make people hard and I've seen it make them soft. And I have to let this make me soft. I can't let it make me hard because she was such a lover. She was just the, the best. And once the baby was born and, and we helped her get through all that, she was kind of in remission for nine months. I mean, she still was, I mean, she was still like radiation dealing with those effects, so exhausted, still kind of sick. But, and then I got the phone call from her that they had found it in her liver and liver's bad news. So the breast cancer, it was still, the cancer was still breast cancer, but it had gone into her liver, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And they gave her, I think initially three to five years to live. And then it went down to one to three, then one to two. I want to say, I think she, um, I, I keep meaning to look it up and it's crazy that I've forgotten, but I think she made it for two years and three months. So when I actually gave that speech, I know what you're talking about that event. Uh, we had buried her a um, just less than a month before that. Yeah. Just under a month before that. So it was raw and fresh, but I really wanted to talk about it that day because I watched my sister. I mean, I, my presentations are, are all, it's very soft skills based, right. About relationships. 
And I watched her as she tried so hard to stay soft instead of getting hard. And she knew the names of all her nurses and I would take her to chemo. And she was just like so fun and silly with them and made it about them. Like this dying cancer patient that knew she was going to die. She made the comment. She's like, oh my gosh, has your boyfriend given you a ring? Tell me everything. Like just so happy for other people. And, you know, I saw her in the hard moments too. Like I'm never, sometimes we glorify people when they die and we make them perfect. That's never my intention. Um, but I want to, sh- it's like, I want to shake everybody that didn't know her and be like, no, she really was like, kind of like almost perfect though. Like, it's not just cause she died. I said this before she ever got cancer. Like, I was just like people that like, liked me. I was like, dude, you should meet my sister. She's way cooler than I am. She's way funnier. She's just like the best, less vain. She's great. Uh, but she, she found a way to see people even in the midst of like, with like six little kids, like the kind of sacred conversations she and I had when she just needed to fall apart. And we talk about what's heaven like, and how do I explain this to my kids? Like those moments are just like, there's like nothing to even, there's just no words for those sacred moments and conversations of when life gets super real. And I think it's interesting that the very last, because at the end she was really sick and she kind of lost her mind, you know, and we were having to help her get around. She didn't always know where she was. And wasn't speaking even a lot or knowing who was with her. And the very last time she spoke to me before she, she kind of went in a coma. Um, I was sitting with her. I brought her out to the living room couch and I was just, I had my head, like she was kind of asleep, just leaning back. And I just kind of had my head like on her shoulder. And I was just kind of quietly weeping because I just knew we were getting close and there's just nothing to prepare you for losing your best friend. Like there's nothing, there's just nothing, there's nothing to say here to prepare you. It doesn't matter how long you've known it's going to happen. And to like seeing her little kids to sleep and it's just, there's just nothing to prepare you. I don't think. And um, even with all the faith in the world and I just let myself sit there and cry for a minute. And then I needed to go pick up my kids from school. And so I I just whispered in her ear what I always did when I left. Um, I just reminded her who I was. I just said, hey, sweet girl, it's Julie. And I said, "Um, I got to go, but I'm going to be back, I promise. And she like grabbed my hand super hard. Right? We talk about soft and hard, but she grabbed it hard. And literally, these are the last three words I ever heard her say. And it was so, so grateful. And. Like, that was it. That's who she was. Like, even when she didn't know where she was or who I was or anything, it's that was kind of her last thing. And I just, that's the kind of life I want to lead. That those are the kind of things I would say um, in in the hardest moments of my life that I would lead still with gratitude. I appreciate you, right? That I would choose to just love people so hard and to be so grateful for them um, and to let them know to let them know, make sure they knew the impact they had on me and then the impact they have on the world and why we so badly need everybody. Um, And it really is like, how do people get through hard things? Like, how do you survive them? Like I've learned firsthand, you do it together. Like that's the only way I found is you have to do it together and then you can do pretty much anything. But when we're isolated, that's when we really see unhealthy behaviors and and poor mental health and so many things. And I, I, I talk about it pretty boldly and I don't really leave question because I just know it's true. 
I, I, there's research to back up all of it for sure that I share when I keynote and things, but like, I just know it's true from personal experience that that's like human connection really is the answer. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Um, I just, yeah. And I think with you sharing that, I didn't realize it was just the month before that you you had me in tears because it was so fresh and vulnerable and real and everything you were sharing about her. Um, And it's, can I say one thing about that? Yes. It's just interesting because you and I both speak and we've heard a lot of people speak and I don't know about you, but for me, there's always these, there's always these questions of like, of course we want to share things that are powerful, but we also don't want to be emotionally manipulative and like create this experience to like force people to feel like it's, you just, you just got to be careful. I feel like it's an honor to be on stage and have people listen to you. And what's so interesting about these most powerful stories in my life I get to share, I'm like, this all happened. Like, there's no over-exaggeration here. This is just real life. I don't need to, like, try to stir up something with music or whatever. Not that that's always a bad thing, but, like, this really is who she was. Um, And it's, I just think if we pay attention in life and we choose to connect, like, these are the kind of things that happen. These are the kind of experiences we have. And there's no need to, there's no trying to push an agenda. It's just like, we have one life to live and and this is it, you know? Well, I love that. And you may have even kind of answered the question, but one of the last questions I love to ask is, you know, Julie, what would you say to the one person that's struggling with you? We talked about a lot, whether it's anxiety or depression or even severe ADHD or even cancer. I mean, what would you say to the one, or even if you had a thought or impression, what your sister would say to you for the one, what would you say to the one person in need to move forward with their challenge, whatever that might be? There's a lot of thoughts that come to mind. So I'm just going to strew them together. And that's these feelings aren't permanent. This experience isn't permanent. Feelings come and go. Life gets harder and it gets easier. So you're not going to be here forever. Something will shift. Something will change. I've seen that again and again. Uh, I see you. (laughs) And you have a 100% track record of getting through hard things so far in your life. Like me, I mean, I have 33 years of showing that I I can tough it out. And so, and you have those years too. I don't know how many, if it's less or more, but a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Or well, whoever the listener is, right? Like yeah, maybe more than me, maybe you have less than me, but like decades, right? Of showing that you can tough it out and that you that things change. I think that's important perspective to keep. I also would just say, like, you know, I talk about leadership. I, I when I talk about my sister, I always talk about how like. She saw me even as a kid. Like I remember finding a scrap of paper at church and it had like goals she wanted to to accomplish. And one of them was play with Julie more. Now she was like between five and six years older than me. So at that time, I mean, I was probably 10 and she was 15 or 16. It's a much bigger gap when you're little, right? But I was like the annoying little sister, I'm sure, that was like, what are you doing? Like tagging along. Like I knew who all her crushes were. Like I was like so into it, so fully committed. And, and I just think like, man, what kind of sister to have that be a goal? It's like, I'm going to play with my little sister more. And I just think from, she always, 
saw me, she always made an effort with me uh, when it would have been so easy not to. And that phrase that I always teach, which is when you see me, I will follow you. I want to follow you. And I've, I've had leaders do that for me before where I'll do anything for people when they're good to me, when, when they've shown up for me in my life, like there's nothing I won't do. I will move heaven and earth to, to do whatever they need because there's a connection there. And so when I think about with her, like, when you see me, I'll follow you. She's finally gone to a place that I can't follow, right? That's so hard. Like, she's finally somewhere where I can't go anymore and because we have different paths. And that's, like, so terribly hard and heartbreaking. And gosh, I have times, like, especially weekends where I don't have my kids. I did this Sunday night where... I just go on a walk and I just let myself play all this sad music and I just let myself fall apart for a while because I am going to get back. This is about me for a second. And I recognize that, but hopefully we can relate somehow me and you listener of life's challenging sometimes. And sometimes we don't get over it, um, but we learn to carry it and it's okay to be sad. But I can't follow her anywhere, but what I can do is I can follow her legacy. And I have my own beliefs about where she is and that she's close. And I've had so many sweet moments. She's not here in the way that I want her or that I feel that those six kids want her, you know, and her husband. But, but I can follow the life she led, man. And I can. And so I guess what I would say to a listener also is that there are different ways, like life can make you hard. I've seen that happen. And I've had moments where I've wanted to be hard and I've chosen to be hard because of challenging things I've been through. But there is, I'm just, I guess I'm just putting it out there. Like there is a choice to stay soft. And I watched such a beautiful example of that. And I watched the impact that it had on people around her and the impact that the effects that it's still having over a year later of losing her um, on people. And that it's also the best way to live is to choose to let your circumstances make you softer instead of harder. There's this quote that I love and I still don't know who it's, who says it, but says soft skills don't make hard work easier. They make you a more pleasant person while doing hard work. And that's what I think, like, if I could be anything, I want to stay soft. I want, and I just, so I guess I just throw that out to you as an option. You know, the choice is all of ours and none of us are perfect at it all the time. But, you know, in the news and the media, I feel like there's a, there's, there's a lot of examples of trying to be divisive and to be hard and to have all the answers and be angry at other people. And I just think that's an option, but there's another one that I've seen and it's, it's what I'm going to choose to follow. And I do my best every day to follow. And, and I, I think I have a better life because of it. I'm so grateful for everything you shared. Um, and I, two things that popped into my mind about your sister is like, you're like, you know, she's not here for me to follow her and do that, but you can, like you said, keep living that legacy. And remember those last words, teaching and being so, so grateful and showing up every day. And with that boy in that class, 
you know, you chose to see him. And what did he want to do? He wanted to follow you. He wanted to help you. Um, And sometimes we see triggers in other people because there are things in us that are like, could this kid have been like me? You know, I mean, why is this little things bugging me? But it's so interesting as we choose to see people and even our own weaknesses as gifts. It's really ironic because my daughter, we have a little farm here and she brought down an egg <laughs> this morning. I don't even know why she brought down an egg. She's like, oh, the chicken egg. So I'm holding up this egg. But there was also a quote and I don't want to mess it up because I don't actually have it in front of me. So maybe you do, but it was something about the boiling water, how boiling water can harden an egg or soften. Do you remember which quote I'm referring to? Oh, oh I don't know this, but it sounds like one I want to know about. It's such a good quote. Like, I honestly want to look it up. And I feel like one of our listeners is like, I know the quote, I know the quote. But it was, it was something about um, uh, boil, boiling water can harden an egg. You know what, we'll have to like put it down in the quotes after because I'll have to find it. Um, it was beautiful. What it was trying to say is that it can harden the same boiling water can do something harden or soften eggs. I'm going to get it wrong. And I know someone knows that maybe put it in the notes and on YouTube, but it was the most beautiful thing about hardening and softening and everything you just said. So we're going to, we'll put it in the notes again. I, I'm just, it came to my mind and I had a random egg sitting there. So, but I do want to share that I'm so grateful for you being so vulnerable today because um, with that story, you didn't have to push anything on anyone. You were just being authentic and real and sharing. And that's why I connected so deeply with that story. And so emotionally was feeling that vulnerability, hearing what you had to say about her. And, and I just, from what you shared, I just love her. And I hope that I can remember to see the good and be so grateful and choose to see things in a different light and all of the things that you taught today. And I just want to thank you so much, Julie, for taking time to teach us all these beautiful things and be vulnerable with us about your experiences. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. For better, for worse, I'm usually a pretty open book. So, <laughs> <laughs> And if we can do this, if we can be vulnerable and share and, yeah. and and in ever since I stepped into the speaking world, I don't know about you, but I get all these stories and all these moments and all these things. I'm like, where sometimes I just want to like, just uh, give up or not do it. But what I find is I share the stories. I keep sharing the, the teaching lessons that I'm having, because if we can do this, we know you can too. Mm-hmm. And to the one person listening, just that advice Julie gave was gold, but just a little bit know that things won't last permanently that you can move through it and i'm going to find that quote about the hard and soft egg and i'll put it in because it's amazing and we just want to thank you so much again julie and we will um talk to you guys all next week thanks for having me